0: Under the Tartan Sky, episode 54, produced 3 July, 2018. (music) Whiskey, or scotch as it's known in many parts of the world, is an iconic product of Scotland. It has long reigned supreme in the Scottish drinks industry but recent years have seen a significant surge in the consumption of gin and as a result the production of artisan gin is on the rise all across Scotland. I'm Glenn Moyer and could gin be the new contender to the Scottish drinks throne or is it merely a pretender? We'll explore this and more about Scottish gin When I'm joined in a moment by Alison Higgins, Brand Ambassador for the Scottish Gin Society here under the tartan sky.
1: 2018 in Scotland is going to be bra. The stage is set and the curtain has gone up on Scotland's year of young people. It's 12 months of events intended to inspire all of Scotland while allowing its young people to shine and showcase their diverse talents and contributions to their communities, their country and the world. Whether you're young or just young at heart, why not visit and see all that Scotland and its young people have to offer in 2018, the Year of Young People.
0: Whiskey has long reigned supreme in the Scottish distilling industry. But in recent years, gin, a liquor derived from juniper berries, has enjoyed a resurgence of interest by consumers. It's become the number one selling tipple all across the UK. And as a result, gin production in Scotland is soaring, with more than 150 gins now available. If whiskey is king, surely gin is now Scotland's crown prince. Gin is not new, its origins date to the Middle Ages. But Scottish gin is far more than just juniper berries. And what is new are Scottish producers who are using the amazing variety of botanicals and other ingredients found across Scotland to create a seemingly endless variety of artisan gin expressions. Botanicals as iconically Scottish as heather and as unexpected as seaweed. The House of Elric creates a gin using fresh water from Loch Ness, supplied by Loch Ness Water, featured earlier here on this podcast. An Eden Mill, inspired by its home that's barely a three-par from the famous St. Andrew's golf course, makes a gin flavored of hickory wood, as in that used in vintage golf clubs. Cask-aged gins, like Firkin, drawing on Scotland's rich heritage of whiskey distilling, have also entered the market, and there seems no end to what new expressions of gin are still to be revealed. Witnessing this gin explosion firsthand, Glasgow businessman Stephen White, a self-confessed gin enthusiast, launched the Scottish Gin Society about two years ago. It's a largely social organization that anyone can join where fans and makers alike can celebrate all things gin. On its website, the Society has launched a Scottish gin distillery map and an A to Z or A to Z buyer's guide to Scottish gins. Besides the growing number of artisan gins, Scotland already produces some of the world's most famous gins, among them Gordon's, Tangeray, and Hendrick's. Alison Higgins, or Ally to her friends, is the society's brand ambassador. So to learn a bit more about Scottish gins, I first asked Ally just how significant is gin to the Scottish drinks industry?
1: It's incredibly significant. Just to throw a fact at you at the outset, uh, in the UK as a whole, gin has overtaken sales of whiskey and vodka to be the number one spirit. So that in itself just shows you the popularity of gin across the whole of the UK. Uh, Last year, 1.5 billion was spent on gin, which is roughly 55 million bottles. That's quite, quite a stat, given that the UK population is about 60 million people, you know. So yeah, it's incredibly important in Scotland. In Scotland, we produce seventy percent of all of the gin that's consumed in the UK. So uh, that that's quite. So when you when, so when we start to break down these numbers, it is significant. Absolutely significant.
0: Absolutely. Is there something intrinsic in Scotland about the climate, the landscape?
1: No. I, well, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting question because I think. What is intrinsic about Scotland is the fact that we have such a rich history in distilling. Ah. I think that's first and foremost. If you think about it, Scotch is you know such an incredible product and the Scots are particularly good at making scotch so there's this uh, amazing heritage and history of distilling in Scotland that it makes sense that that the Scots or you know people in Scotland are good at making gin as well uh, we also have possibly the best water in the world mm. and i'm not just saying that because i'm from here <laughs> but uh, you know the, the water that we have is Incredible, probably because we have so much rain. Um, So, you know that in itself. So, so I think it's a sort of threefold question because we've got uh, an amazing heritage of distilling great water, and also because of the topography of Scotland, we have amazing botanicals that we can we can go out and use. Right,
0: right. So,
1: um, so in terms of a climate, I think the rain probably helps. (laughs)
0: Well, you know, there's that saying that, you know, today's rain is tomorrow's whiskey. Maybe it should be today's rain is um firstly tomorrow's gin and then whiskey.
1: Possibly, possibly. And and the great thing is I was at a distillery uh, a couple of weeks ago and they're actually using rainwater to cool down the stills. Huh. So you know, so it, it's really lovely the way this sort of biodiversity is <laughs> is working as well. So Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Of course, the most famous gin cocktail is the gin and tonic. And I've heard several stories that the gin and tonic is one of many things that Scotland has given to the world. Is that true? And and can what's the story that you know about the G&T?
1: Uh, do you know... Uh, it's one of those things that I, I really hope and wish that it is true, but I don't know. I mean, my understanding is that the way that the GNT came about was because um, in, in colonial times, when the British Empire were very much present in India and Africa, malaria was Rife I mean well it still is rife but you know it, it, it was something that the, the British troops really had to consider so they had to drink um tonic which was basically quinine that looked like the bottom of a rusty bucket <laughs> so they had to drink half a pint of that every single day of their lives to stave off malaria so the other thing was if you if you if you consume this too quickly you can lose your sight. Oh, so as you can imagine having to drink this, this substance that just tasted like rust water, but worse but you couldn't gulp it, you had to sip it that someone somewhere, some colonel of the army was sitting at his desk thinking, how can I make this more pleasant looked across at his gin bottle, added the tonic to his gin put a bit of lime in it as well
0: and there you voila. go. That's
1: how, my <laughs> understanding of how gin and tonic was born.
0: That that's the story I've heard too, and I think as opposed to. Uh a pint of rust water i'd rather just have an iron brew and call it the day <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are people who drink gin and iron brew i'm just going to put that out there now oh my goodness there are, there are, not, are people who do that um, but yeah that that's totally my understanding and, and and if this colonel was scottish brilliant but i
0: don't yeah. know if he was or not well the story i've heard is that it, that he was scottish so we'll go with that and, and give Let's the scots do that. credit Let's for do it that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Scotland has certainly three of the world's best known gins Hendrix, Gordon's, and Tangeray. And yet, uh, you've already touched on how huge the gin industry is. In Scotland, in fact, in the UK, in the last few years, we've seen a tremendous growth. At least I've been more aware of it of of craft gins. I have good friends, uh, for example, that are associated with Firkin Gin, um, uh-huh. and and I love their ad slogan. It's not Firkin whiskey. you know. I just I, yeah. I like that. And uh, and I'm familiar with Rock Rose and Edinburgh Gin and Loch Ness. Those are some of the newer um, craft gins that are out there. What is behind this explosion of craft gin production? And, and what's the size of that uh, going on in Scotland now?
1: Well, it's a, that, it's a really interesting question because there's a whole argument as to how do you define craft. So, so if you take it from a small batch perspective, which um, many of the gins are, uh, I think that's probably a better way to look at it. Okay. Possibly, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it is—it's just so difficult. There's this. There's this. I wouldn't say it's an argument that's rumbling on, but it is. How do you define craft? Because you know, we're to, you, some of those brands that you've that you've uh, mentioned. I mean, their production is really quite big. Right. So you know, it is just that whole. It, it's a it's a hard question to answer. But in terms of um, the amount of gins in scotland you're looking at over 150 gins now wow uh, some of that some of that number is made up of someone like rock rose who has three expressions or oh, well actually I just brought out a fourth on wednesday so you know someone like rock rose have got four different expressions or edinburgh gin have golly and, and numerous expressions you've got mm. original cannonball seaside they've just done one with the Royal botanic gardens in edinburgh and then they've got all of their gin liqueurs so as you can imagine these things are just growing and growing and growing and growing and growing um, but i think why has it exploded that's that, that's probably more of the question to answer i think none of us live uh, a life how we used to. You know, someone has quoted very much this 100-year life that we all now have. So you can start off in a profession and be going down a track and think, actually, do you know what? I think I want to do something different now. And that's not frowned upon, it's encouraged. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many of the people who are making these gins have left careers in teaching, law, banking, architecture to make gin.
0: And I guess that speaks, too, to to what you were saying earlier, Scotland's heritage of distilling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also, the thing about Scotland as well is that we are an incredibly creative nation and an inventive nation. You know, we brought you television and the telephone and penicillin. You know, I think think that's probably one of the reasons. The other thing that we have to also consider, Glenn, is that a lot of these gins are made by whiskey distilleries.
0: Right, yeah
1: so uh, you know there are distilleries that are sitting there you know yourself you can't call a scotch a scotch until it's had maturation for three years in a day so they have stills that are sitting there so why not make gin on them
0: you know so
1: that's another angle to consider
0: Yeah, I know, for example, the new Wivis Distillery uh, up in Dingwall, they have started whiskey distilling and have now started their first batch of whiskey. But in the meantime, they've been doing and are doing gin as a means of, as you say, as a means of ongoing operation. Otherwise, you would distill a batch of whiskey and then have to wait 5, 10, 15, however many years it is before you're going to bring it to market. Um, exactly,
1: exactly. And Glenmivis is a great example because what they were doing was that they, you know, their still is now fired up and it's called Heather. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> yes. what, what they're distilling their gin on. But yeah, but, but with that as well, they're, they're helping to regenerate a whole community and it's very much a community distillery. As well, so that that in itself is another interesting aspect of this whole explosion of of gins in Scotland.
0: Well, and they're involving in the case of Glen Whibbs. I'm I'm quite proud to say I'm one of the community owners of the distillery. Oh, fantastic! They did uh, a crowdfunding uh, uh-huh. to bring the project to uh, to fruition, and. Uh, and people around the world have joined in. Uh, and that's, of course, that's one of my uh, primary stops when I'm on the Black Isle in a few months, and is to uh, visit my distillery. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. You have I love a piece be, of it. Yeah, too. I love being able to say that. You know, I, oh, yeah, I have, a, I have a distillery in Scotland. <laughs> uh,
1: but you could have a distillery in Scotland. That's the thing. That's the beauty of it, because... You know, you don't have to invest millions and millions of pounds in a distillery. You know, I've been in distilleries that are the size probably of your living room.
0: Wow. Well, that's, I do have an extra guest room. Maybe I could turn that (laughs) into, I should start making gin. I don't know
1: know what the US equivalent is of of our Majesty's revenue and customs. Yeah. You know, (laughs) illicit illicit distilling. But, you know, that is the thing. You know, it's great that people can uh, follow their passion and uh, distill in, in quite unusual places.
0: And we have a history over here you may or may not be aware of. And I think that it's called moonshining. Um, uh-huh. And used to happen. In fact, it might have been a bunch of crazy Scots up in the North Carolina probably. hills that were doing that. Probably. But the um, yeah. Scots were the Irish. <laughs> well, probably both, uh, but we won't. We won't go there. You've talked about the huge variety of gins. You mentioned 150, I think. And one of the things that um, I found on your website, on the Scottish uh, Gin Society website, that was quite interesting is the uh, gin A to Z. And it's literally kind of like a, almost like a buyer's guide. You have a a listed all the gins alphabetically. You can click on each one and learn a bit about it. And then there's a link to their website. So if you want to go window shopping for gin, your gin A to Z on your website is... Is wonderful there's also a distillery map but now I understand correct me if I'm wrong the map itself is not all-inclusive how did you go into deciding who gets in and who doesn't
1: that's well, the map um, has has been in uh, I suppose in development for well it wasn't developed for a number of months until we were the first everyone to launch back in the March time and we had so many arguments about what do we include, what do we not include, and we took the decision that we were only going to include uh, gin makers with a still in Scotland on the map. So many of the brands that um, you might think are Scottish, some aren't Scottish. They're they're made they're made elsewhere so we really wanted to use the map and the a to z as a bit of a an education piece as well an informative piece but also slightly educational as well so the map I always say to people if you can kick it it's on it (laughs) 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 I don't mind kicking a still because they're a thing of beauty but you know it is just that thing of if you can touch it it's real it's there so so you so you're you're making your gin in that still so that that is why and how we came about the distillery map of scotland okay whereas the a to z we didn't want to be discriminate to other gin, other scottish gins that don't have their own still so that that's why we created the a to z of that because um as much as i've, I've made a quip about you can open a distillery anywhere that there, there is a lot of Um, process and investment in doing that you know so while people a lot of people while they're trying to establish their brand they might get someone else to make their gin for them in the meantime right so we call we call that contract distilling so you know if you don't have your own still you could go along to another distillery and say you know can you help me and, and make gin that
0: way. And, and again, Glenn Wivis was doing that. Their gin distillery yes. was at once, way up on the the northern edge of... It may have even been in in was it Shetland or Orkney? You probably know better than I do. I
1: think it was Shetland that was being made. Yeah,
0: and, and now that they have now that they have Heather, their own uh, yeah. still, they've actually brought the gin distilling uh, on site to the new distillery. But for a while exactly. it was. So but but, going but at least on the
1: map now.
0: Yeah, but at least in that case, they're still uh, it wasn't there still, but it, their gin was being produced in Scotland. Um, exactly. Even, even though it exactly. wasn't produced at their their particular distillery because it was still under construction. Um, Uh
1: So that's why the A to Z is an incredibly important resource as well, because it actually lists all the Scottish gins and and lets the, the, the reader know where they're made.
0: And the map, of course, is great because, for example, any tourist, persons like myself who are coming over, if I want to perhaps take a look at a distillery other than Glen Rivas, then I could go to that map and find what gin distilleries there are in the area of Scotland I may be visiting and then can look into, uh, use your A to Z to uh, find their website and uh, see about tours and those kinds of opportunities.
1: Well, actually, on the on the map, what we've tried to do is is put a different icon on for distilleries who actually open their doors, so ah. it makes it easier for you to find distilleries who do tours. Well, there you go. So, um, so that's fantastic. You know, so if you're over in Oban, you can go down to Campbelltown, and and you know that's where uh, Kintar Botanical Gin's made, and they've just opened up to tourists. So, you know, it, it's a fantastic resource in that respect, as you say. Especially for 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 any kind of um, visitors, you know, be it. Um Scottish, UK, European, anyone, you know, it's great because they can see exactly who's open and what we do is direct them to the website because for us to keep track of opening hours and costs and things would just be too much. Yeah,
0: but but it's a great starting point and it's a nice centralized starting point to say, okay, I'd like to visit some distilleries. I'm going to be, for example, in my case, on the Black Isle and up in the northern part of Scotland, what's available to me. I can go to the map and find, and then I can go to their individual websites to get the detail that i need exactly
1: yeah. exactly so it's a fantastic resource
0: you spoke a little bit earlier about the topography of scotland and how that gives you such great a variety of botanicals and um gin is primarily an ingredient or its primary ingredient i suppose is juniper berries but in so many of what we what we're calling craft gins, or just, let's just say the new gins that are being done in Scotland in that surge, I've I found there's really quite a variety of botanicals and ingredients. Hendrix, of course, famous for cucumbers, but others are, are using a, a whole variety of local, particularly to where they're, they're being distilled, local botanicals. What are some of the more unique or unusual, I guess, uh, botanicals that you're seeing used in gin distilling in there in Scotland?
1: Well, I suppose one of the most unusual botanicals is seaweed. (laughs) Uh, And you say that, Glenn, you say that, don't knock it till you try it. (laughs) (laughs) It is absolutely fantastic. Um, Isle of Harris, um, which is a a, a fantastic gin made on the Isle of Harris, they use uh, local hand-harvested sugar kelp. So they have a diver who goes out, And and, uh, dives for sugar kelp.
0: Okay. Well, if it says sugar, I'm I'm a little more into sugar kelp, I suppose, than I am seaweed, just because it sounds better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but then, uh, you know, so, uh, and I suppose the the fact that, uh, you know, Harris is an island and it's surrounded by water, that was the inspiration, you know, for their bottle, as well as for the botanicals that go in it. Um, Some other unusual botanicals, uh, Icelandic moss, um silver birch sap from the silver birch uh, gorse i don't know do you have gorse in america it kind of grows wild, and it's a, it's a yellow flower. And it
0: uh, yeah, it's every, it's everywhere in Scotland. I remember uh, my first trip there. Yeah. I thought, what is all this yellow stuff? Because it was everywhere. Um, yeah, so I'm sure we the, probably do have that. it, but but I'm not. I'm, I was never familiar with it until I came to Scotland. So, uh,
1: so so that that, that, that um, you know the smell of that is just so beautiful. It just smells of coconut, and so that, that off you know that, that's being used more often now. Heather, lavender. Um, so yeah, so a, a real different selection of botanicals. Uh, noble fir, you know. So so people are being inspired by the landscape to to create their their, their gins.
0: we have talking about some of these unique botanicals. Where are some of the more unique places to visit in Scotland and experience gin?
1: Well, I, I suppose um, the most northerly distillery in the UK is on um, Shetland and that's Saxoford and that's an old RAF base. So that's practically in Scandinavia. <laughs> so um that's the most northernly distillery in the whole of the UK. On on the Scottish mainland, uh, you've got Dunn at Bay who make rock Rose that you've mentioned before, and they're part of the North Coast five hundred, which is a is a, a route, not like Route sixty six, but you know, um
0: mm-hmm. a sort of
1: thing like that. There's a summer hall distillery now. I don't know if you're aware of a gym called Pickering's.
0: Yes, yes. I know
1: the name. So um, they're made at a place called Summer Hall, and Summer Hall um, was a building that belonged to Edinburgh University for years and years like probably hundreds of years because it's Edinburgh um, and it was a vet school. So people w- went there to learn how to become a vet, and their um, distillery is housed in the old small animal hospital.
0: Wow. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's, that's quite an interesting
1: thing yeah that's unique
0: and unusual I would say <laughs>
1: yeah um, I mean there are just so many um, distilleries in such beautiful beautiful places and you know I suppose uh, you know on the mainland um, oh, yeah, there's a Crafty distillery down in Newton uh, Stewart, um, they, they they just um, look out onto forest, which gives way to the beach. You know, so there's some utterly beautiful scenic places to to experience Scottish gin. Or you know, up at, at St Andrews, Eden Mill, um, they have a place on the 18th hole now at the Old Course St Andrews, where you can go and learn how to to blend your own gin. Oh. Uh, so that's quite an interesting thing to do because you can go and make some gin and then see the golfers outside too. And, and it's such an iconic golf course. So, so there's that. So there, there's just so many, um, but there seems to definitely be a bit of a, a movement into um, distilleries teaching people how to make gin which is a great thing to do yeah because i've done it it's amazing
0: and and then you can come back to wherever you're you're visiting from come back in my case to the states and become a moonshiner (laughs)
1: well you could do that absolutely or but it's just so lovely to have a bottle that that you have put your own stamp on
0: yeah what a a unique souvenir of a a visit to scotland wow exactly
1: exactly so um i did one last august in glasgow and it was fantastic, yeah? and I, but when you looked at my recipe, I looked like I was making a curry for
0: <laughs> <than> a gin. <laughs> but, um, it tasted really good.
1: <laughs> no, it had cardamom and uh, what else did it have in it? Oh, not like curry leaves, but something about like I can't remember. Yeah. I'll send it to you.
0: <laughs> so, so did you give your, your your gin a name?
1: Yes, I called it Mother's Ruin.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that sounds good. Um, something to, to settle so, yeah. down with on a, on a Friday evening, I suppose.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Well, you touched a moment ago, too, on, uh, as we were talking about botanicals, you mentioned how the whiskey there on Isla they, they use the, the local geography, et cetera, as, uh, and the, the local topography as a source for their botanicals. And also, you said, um, you mentioned bottle design and whiskey, Scotch is well known for really, really artistic. Sometimes I would buy a whiskey just to have the bottle because it's so unique. Um, They really can be expressions of art. Are we finding the same thing now in the gin industry?
1: absolutely absolutely um i mean you, you've you referenced the a to z on our website mm-hmm. even just looking at that you can see the diversification of the bottles you know from the acrus which is a neon orange bottle to isle of harris which is is ribbed to reflect the waves of the sea and um, canrara have just developed the most beautiful kind of rectangular bottle so there's all these bottles out there that are just Beautiful and you would want to have on your shelf. Um, so yeah, pa- packaging is is playing quite a big part in it. In this, absolutely, because as well, I think as we've also touched on, there's so many gins now. So you need a lot of people are thinking we need to have something that's just that bit different to have a standout.
0: Well, exactly, and that brings up a good question. You talked about you know gins reaching 1.5 billion pounds in sales this past year. Is there a is there a damage of oversaturation? Can there be too many gins?
1: I think because the category is is such in its infancy, really. When you think about it, I mean Hendrix only launched in two thousand, you know, so it's not even twenty years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think there might be a bit of a point that will reach where uh, I don't know is honest answer.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair.
1: Um I, I just think I just think, you know, it's still such a a category that's just so young. It's not like whiskey. It's not been around well, gin has been around for hundreds of years. That this kind of gin consumption and gin explosion is still just so new.
0: Talking about the business of gin, as we kind of get back to that track, you talked about the amount of gin that's produced there in in the UK and in Scotland and the sales. Uh, What about exports? Because whiskey export or exports is a huge part of the whiskey industry. Um, Is a lot of Scottish gin being exported? And how important is that to the industry?
1: A lot of Scottish gin has been exported. And uh, as you touched on at the very start, you know, Tanqueray, Gordons and Hendricks are made in Scotland, um, but their export markets are huge. I mean, huge. Um, in terms of the next tier down from that, um, I know there is a lot of um, Scottish gin now in Asia. That That's a, a really big market. And America.
0: Yes, we're a land of yes. we're, we're becoming a land of gin drinkers. <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, so I, I know, of course, you know um, Europe as well, but you know, in terms of um, of export markets, you know, properly overseas, uh, yeah, Asia and America are two are two really big um, export markets for for Scottish gin, and I think it goes back to this thing that that again, we're really lucky that we have Scotch and people recognise how the scotches that you know that helps with the gin as well i think
0: well is there um and this may be a little bit outside of your expertise but uh, which is more important do you think uh, sales there at home or export sales
1: i don't think you can ever ignore your indigenous market because they were the people who were your brand advocates when you started you know, but then you know the UK is such a small place, and Scotland's even smaller. I think our population's only six million people. But you know, I think that's the thing. You know, makers will never ever ignore their their loyal customer base that that's local. I don't. It just wouldn't.
0: Yeah, I'm reminded of um, a Texas football coach that I very much admired uh, as a as a kid growing up in Texas, and uh, one of his favorite sayings was, "You got to dance with the one that brung you." So uh-huh. in a sense if you're making gin in Scotland it would make sense that you pay attention first to your audience in Scotland and uh, your consumer there before you look to uh, establish yourself elsewhere perhaps.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I also think that um a lot of of brands really want to just establish their their immediate home market before they could even consider going out of that. Sure. You know, so some of the brands who've been around that bit longer, they have the they have the knowledge, they have the figures to actually understand what would happen if I made, you know, a thousand more liters of this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, or well, it wouldn't be a thousand; it would be much more than a thousand. But but do you know what I mean? I think they have the the kind of they can sit and look and look at their sales figures and say, okay, you know. To to achieve this, what do we need to do? Whereas when you're just starting out and you're quite little, you have to just concentrate on your immediate area.
0: Well, sure. You, you have to what crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run, as they say. So, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Talking about just gin in general, I'm not a big gin drinker. I've only recently started drinking it, to be honest. And I started, of course, with a gin and tonic. Um, And that's the iconic cocktail, I guess, that everyone knows gin for. But is gin a, uh, you said people are drinking gin and iron brew. Mm, (laughs) Not quite sure I'm I'm there yet. Uh, But is gin quite a popular spirit for cocktail mixing? Does it make a good mixer?
1: Oh my gosh, it makes the best cocktails. A Negroni, is a classic. Um, with Campari and bitters, it's it's just a joy to drink, uh, and then the martini. Yeah. You
0: know. Okay. Yeah, I always thought of a so, martini as a snobbish drink.
1: Ah, uh, well, no,
0: not <laughs> at all, not at all.
1: Um. So yeah. So you know, I mean, the, the those martini and the are the t- are two classic cocktails for gin. Um. But yeah, there are so many. I think that is the amazing thing about gin. Is that the flavour profiles can be so incredibly varied that you can just make the most incredible cocktails with it. Or you can drink it neat, or you could drink it with tonic, or you could drink it with ginger ale, which I often do, especially with a really spicy gin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just got so, it's a ridiculous remark, but it's so many legs. You know, you can just do so much with gin, like so much with gin that I don't think you can do with
0: vodka. Another trend that I've seen in the spirits industry, um, in, with regard to whiskey, is uh, you find a lot of information on uh, online and at whiskey tastings about pairing uh, specific whiskeys with a specific type of food. We did a whiskey tasting here, as a matter of fact, and the whole evening was we tried six different whiskeys, and it was about pairing it with a different course of the meal. D- does gin deserve a place on the dinner table as well? Are there specific oh, pairings?
1: Absolutely, and 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 I have been to, uh, I've been to. So far, I've only ever been to one gin tasting with food pairings, which was incredible. Um but uh, I I was speaking to a gin maker just at the start of the year, and um, he he's made a gin that was based on a sauce that his chef used to make for scallops. Anyway, and uh, that inspired one of his gins, and it is so amazing with seafood so something like sashimi or oysters or something like that a lot of people um drink gin and eat an oyster at the same time so yeah there is definitely a movement towards it and also obviously given that we're scottish we cure salmon and gin so (laughs) gin cured salmon is is lovely and um yeah i mean there's uh, absolutely there's definitely going to be much more of a movement towards food paintings with gin again i think it's because there's so many different flavor profiles to complement the different kinds of courses that you would have. Uh-huh.
0: There's all kinds of tips for for tasting whiskey, and of course, there's there's the uh, the space side whiskeys. There's peated whiskey, there's smoky whiskey, etc. And we've talked about all the, the the huge variety in botanicals and recipes for gin. How do you go about finding your right gin, or their tips for? Tasting and testing and sampling gins to to see which ones you might you know favor over others.
1: Well, usually when we do a a gin tasting, it's it's very similar to a whiskey tasting because, as you know, between ninety to ninety five percent of the taste comes from the smell. So we do nose gin. Mm, Okay. Um, So you know when when you nose the gin, you can start to get the botanicals coming through. I mean. Obviously, you get ones that are incredibly juniper-led, which they should well, they shouldn't, shouldn't be. But you know, gin is made of juniper, yeah. um, and then you can you know you can start to get floral notes, citrus notes, spicy notes coming through that way. So I do think that there is something for everyone, and I think it's quite easy to kind of almost break it down into you know citrus, spice, floral, herbaceous, it's almost savoury. You know, uh-huh. so there there's definitely flavor profiles that, that you can pick out. Um, and you know, if you don't like spice to stay away from certain gins, you know, or if you particularly like something that's citrusy to go towards those gins.
0: My vocation has always been in the sport of hot air ballooning, and Hendrix gin has a hot air balloon, and I'd seen it for years and never knew that Hendrix was a product of Scotland uh, until recently. And so I said, oh, I'm going to try that. And that led me on to what is currently now my exploration personally of gin uh, and Scottish gins. And so if someone hasn't tried gin before, why would you say they should?
1: Um, I think it just goes back to the fact that it's such a versatile spirit and I do believe there's something for everyone I I was doing a training session at a bar a few weeks ago and uh, one of the bar staff she said oh I just don't like gin I don't like gin at all I said maybe it's tonic you don't like <laughs> you know yeah um, and by the end of it she found a gin that she liked um, I think it's something that there is something for everyone there is uh, gin for every palate there's no right way to drink it as much as people go about perfect serves you should have your preferred serve and enjoy it your way and I, and I think that's the way just to approach it is be open minded and just try it
0: we've talked about how new in terms of age or young i should say the gin industry is and it's burgeoning at the moment what is the projection for the future of gin in scotland will we ever see a day where people think of scotland more because of gin than scotch perhaps
1: yeah i think so
0: Ooh, there's a headline
1: (laughs) why not why not
0: well, I don't know so and
1: especially when you start looking at demographics of gin drinkers it, it's a a lot of um I can't quite remember the the percentages but well the 18 to 25 year olds are just behind the 25 to 34 year olds in terms of being you know embracing gin mm-hmm So if you think about it, they're they're growing up and developing their tastes and their social lives with gin as as an integral part of it. So they're going to keep on drinking it for generations. So I think Scottish gin could maybe one day be... Supplant, shall we say, whiskey.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: It would, be, it would be amazing if it did, because it is such a good drink.
0: My thanks to my guest, Alison Higgins of the Scottish Gin Society, for helping us to learn a bit more about Scottish gins. Could gin someday supplant whiskey as the iconic spirit of Scotland? Well, time will tell. Meanwhile, to learn even more about Scottish gins, be sure to check out the Society's A to Z guide on their website. The link is in our show notes at www.UnderTheTartanSky.scot. There you'll also find the link for information on the Blendworks experience at Eden Mill, where you can actually create your very own gin. Next time, we venture into the world of writing and publishing with Scottish author Catherine Alexandra. Her debut novel, Dancing Through Fire, is receiving solid five-star reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. We'll discuss the book, with no spoilers, as well as the trials and tribulations of the writing lifestyle, the challenges of self-publishing, and Catherine will even share a few tips for the budding writer in you, all based on her recent personal experience. It's a conversation I know you'll enjoy. Until then, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapele agus alba Cabral. Under the Tartan Sky is a
1: production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications, for show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Or we'll get in touch via email at info at Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol heart and sky and thank you for
0: listening